Hello, you're listening to Panam, a podcast about Paris, the people who've lived here, the events that have taken place and the traces they've left behind. I'm Amber and today's story I came across while reading Edmund White's book The Flanner, which tells both the history of Paris as well as Edmund's salacious adventures around the capital and how sanitised the Tuileries gardens seem today. Anyway, in his book, he briefly mentions Henri d'Orléans, or as he was known, the Count of Paris, a remarkable man who dreamt of being the King of France. It is a story full of broken dreams, monarchy, revenge, family feuds and jewels. So come with me to the Louvre Museum, specifically the ornate goldenness of the Apollo Gallery, home of what is today left of the Royal Crown Jewels, which is not really that much after the revolutionaries got their mitts on them. Let's walk down the gallery past my favourite display of the remarkable collection of Louis XIV's hard stone vessels, which are essentially little pots and cups decorated with fantastical beasts like a mare horse, which is the head of a horse and a tail of a fish, as well as a dragon whose tongue pokes out and is perpetually quivering. I think that they are by far the best thing to see in the gallery, but we're not stopping here. We're going on down to a rather lovely set of blue sapphires. Um, The set includes a tiara, which I think is the main focus of what we're talking about today, but there's also a necklace, earrings and a brooch, and they're known as the Orléans sapphires. Um, They originally came from either Marie Antoinette or the Empress Josephine. That's not actually important for our story today. What is interesting is how they happen to be in the Louvre. And that is the story of Henri d'Orléans, the Count of Paris, and how he tried to install, or reinstall rather, the monarchy, with himself as the head, of course, the king, and he would have been Henry VI. But unfortunately, when he realised he could not be king, he decided if he couldn't have it, no one could have it. And he made a bitter pledge to be the last king of France. So let's go back in time and put it all into context. Um, His dream might sound crazy, but if you do look at French history, in some ways it's not that mad. Um, So let's go back to the French Revolution. So 1789 is French Revolution, as you know, And then a few years later, that results in the decapitation of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette and the end of the monarchy and the creation of a republic, which is all fine until Napoleon Bonaparte comes along and he turns France into an empire. Napoleon is defeated um, and he is exiled. And then the French, what do they do? They go back to having a monarchy. So the monarchy is re-established and so they need a king. Who did they choose to be king? Well, of course, Louis XVIII. Louis XVIII, because there was Louis XVI who was decapitated. Remember, Louis XVII was Louis XVI's son, but he dies during the revolution and he's never officially king. But for monarchists, they still take him into account. Anyway, who is Louis XVIII? He is the younger brother of Louis XVI, which makes me wonder... Like, would you really become king after all that if you saw your brother being decapitated in Paris not that long ago? Would you be like, oh, you want a monarchy? Yeah, definitely. I would definitely want to be king. Anyway, he does become king and he actually stays king 
until he dies in 1824, the last king to do so. So, I mean, I suppose it worked out for him, really. But he didn't have any children, which, and this is according to Wikipedia, is possibly because, quote, he found his wife repulsive. She was considered ugly, tedious and ignorant of the customs of the court of Versailles. Their marriage remained unconsummated for years. Biographers disagree about the reason. The most common theories propose Louis' alleged impotence, according to biographer Antonia Fraser, or his unwillingness to sleep with his wife due to her poor personal hygiene. She never brushed her teeth, plucked her eyebrows or used any perfumes. At the time of his marriage, Louis was obese and waddled instead of walked. He never exercised and continued to eat enormous amounts of food. I mean, neither of them sound great, do they? Um, to be honest. Anyway, upon his death, there was no heir, but the monarchy was not done for because Louis XVI actually had two younger brothers. So there was the heir, the spare, and the spare of the spare. So now that spare, Charles X, steps up. He is, of course, Louis XVI's youngest brother, who was, and this is again according to Wikipedia, thought of as the most attractive member of his family, bearing a strong resemblance to his grandfather, Louis XV. So that's a bit better. Anyway, he stays in power until the revolution of 1830, known as the Trois Glorieuses. That revolution was basically people feeling cross with Charles X for being too much of an old school absolute monarch. So he was forced to abdicate. But he had hoped that his grandson would continue in power. Now, why his grandson and not his son? Well, sadly, his son was assassinated on the 14th of February, on Valentine's Day uh, in 1820. He was stabbed to death outside the opera by a Bonapartist who was opposed to the monarchy. And it did put the succession into jeopardy for a hot minute. But surprise, surprise, his wife was actually pregnant and she gave birth to a son, Henry. Lots of Henrys in this story. But Henry, known as the Count of Chambord. Put a pin in that name because we'll come back to it later. Now, regardless of whether Charles X had a son and an heir or who he wanted to take over from him, that was not going to be. The French decided they did want a monarchy, but instead of going with Charles X's heir, they chose instead to go with Louis-Philippe. Um, and this is where our story gets interesting. So Louis-Philippe is crowned King of the French and becomes known as the Citizen King. Now, Louis-Philippe had a legitimate claim to the throne as he was Charles X's cousin and he was from the Orléans branch of the family. So what is the House of Orléans um, or Orléans? This is basically the Spares branch. So the Duke of Orléans is a title usually given to a younger brother or close relative of the king. So for Louis-Philippe, he is the actual great-great-great-grandson of Louis XIV's younger brother. I hope you're following. Anyway, Louis Philippe is king of the French for a while until the revolution sees um, another Napoleon, Napoleon III, come to power as president, then emperor, which is fine until it's not. And then France goes back to being a republic, which it still is, of course, today. Why am I going all over all of this? And, you know, if you don't follow, don't worry too much. Basically, it's just to say that the relationship with the French and the monarchy is complicated. After the revolution, it must have seemed 
impossible to have the monarchy again. And yet they did. And then they had another revolution and they kept with the monarchy. And all this upheaval, all this upheaval divides loyalties. There are probably still French people today who dream of the monarchy being reinstated. I mean, they certainly seem to care a lot about the British royal family. But, you know, they go back and forth. The monarchy doesn't seem possible. And then it's there and then it's an empire and then it's a republic. So, you know, like, why not? Why couldn't they have another monarchy again? And so we are looking, we're going to hone in specifically in to post-World War II France. So following the war, there is this big feeling of change, cultural and political change and upheaval. And if there was ever a moment to why not re-establish a monarchy, it was a good enough time as any. And our friend Henry very much wanted that monarchy to be re-established with, like we said, him in charge. He does have a legitimate claim. He was the great-grandson of Louis-Philippe. So, a legitimate heir of the Orléans branch. Now, don't forget, there is another branch who also has a legitimate heir, that Count of Chambord dude. So, he is the heir from Charles X, and for some royalists, he's got a better claim. But that is another can of worms, and we're not going to get into that today. Suffice to say... Henry, Count of Paris, is hot to be king, and for some royalists, he's a great option. Let's take a minute to delve into his biography a little. So for most of his life, Henry had to live outside of France. The threat of revolution was taken pretty seriously, and there was actually a law banning him living in the country, specifically an 1886 edict which condemned the heads of the Bourbon and Bonaparte dynasties, as well as their heirs, into exile. Nonetheless, even though he was in exile, he was keen to be involved in French affairs, and he fought in the French Foreign Legion in World War II. In 1950, this law was revoked and he was allowed back into France. Um, And by this time, Henry's father had died. He died in 1940, so he's now the heir, and he's inherited absolute fortune. He's inherited um, money and jewels and property and art and titles and all sorts of royal knickknacks as well, like drawings done by Louis XIV and all sorts of, you know, royal family paraphernalia. So he wanted to be king, as we know, and he was close with Charles de Gaulle. They weren't friends exactly. It's quite complicated. But apparently Charles de Gaulle supported the monarchy and wanted the monarchy to be re-established. And Henry believed that his first step was to gain elected political power. And then once he had that, he could offer the chance to the French to have another king. Hurrah! In 1960, de Gaulle apparently had said, Monseigneur, I believe deeply in the value of the monarchy, and I'm certain that it's the best suited to our poor country. So that's what's going on. De Gaulle is like, yes, I'm in power, but I think there should be a monarchy and you should you know, stand for election. And he also says, de Gaulle says, I won't stand for re-election. But of course, that's not what happens because in 1964, de Gaulle does run again and wins. And without getting into all the intrigue that goes back and forth, Henry basically realises by 1968, his chance has gone and he's never going to be king. And maybe because of this, something just snaps. And he decides if I can't be king, no one's going to be. And he's going to take it all with him. He wants to burn it to the ground. He wants to bury his worldly goods like some sort of Egyptian pharaoh. So he divorces his wife. He moves in with his mistress and he sets about selling 
everything and leaving his 11 children penniless. And he was pretty successful despite some of their best efforts to curb his selling. Upon his death, at the age of 90, his children found his home completely empty, stripped of furniture, even the light bulbs were gone. There were only six monogrammed handkerchiefs left and a old pair of slippers. Henry d'Orléans had made good on his promise to leave them nothing but hatred and tears with which to weep. I mean, that's bitter. That's bitterness right there. One thing that was saved, for us at least, were these sapphires, which had been in the Orléans family since 1821. How did they get to the Louvre? Well, Henry was apparently caught trying to sneak them out of France to auction in Switzerland and then was forced to sell them to the Louvre for a mere 5 million francs. Though, depending on where you read the story, some claim it was just a mix-up and that Sotheby's was organising the transfer of the jewels to Geneva and that President Mitterrand himself had guaranteed that they would be allowed to leave France and that he was most definitely not caught with them hidden in his suitcase. It just so happened that the Louvre decided that they might like to buy them and offered a really low sum and Henry was cool with that. So believe what you will. Anyway, that's the end of our story. That's how these gorgeous sapphires ended up in the Louvre. They were either attempted to be sold and smuggled off and brought here or sold because he wanted to sell them to the Louvre. But regardless, they hide the sort of tears and bitterness of this man and his family. Sort of appropriate. They look a bit like tears, don't they? Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed it. It will cheer me up when I go down the Louvre to look at them and think of this story. I'll pop some pictures up on Instagram and the usual places of various fancy ladies wearing the sapphires and, uh, you know, the man himself. That's it for now. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard, then tell a friend or leave a review. It absolutely makes my day. Take care of yourselves. Until next time. Bye.